Hello and welcome to the Counterpress Podcast. I'm your host, Kirk Kinsey, and with me tonight, I have Matt Liebman as a special guest on the show. Matt Lee uh, runs the at LAFC chat handle, which you should definitely go uh, give a follow. And I'm sure he's going to justify that with his uh, astute analysis here. Matt, how are you tonight? I'm doing well, Kirk. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited to spend a little bit of time decompressing what I think has made most of us feel a little sadder than our normal days this season, but uh, a lot of positives as well and, and excited to talk through it. Well, awesome. Awesome. Um, so I guess I'll, I'm just going to kick it right back to you, to be honest. Um, what did you see in this game? What did Seattle get right? How did they, uh, how did they unzip this LAFC defense? Yeah, I think, so the first thing that, that we saw today out of Seattle that we had never seen before in a head-to-head matchup was the Peruvian international Raul Rui Diaz, who came out and really made his presence felt from the beginning. Their hold-up play was at a different level. He relieved pressure. And you talk about how were they able to succeed tonight. I think that all of us that watch the team regularly would agree that there's one area that we really have as an Achilles heel, and it's what we do after a goal is scored. Um, Mm -hmm. Throughout the entire season, when we've given ourselves that feeling of goodness and we've put a goal in the net, the next three to five minutes is a dangerous time for us. Um, And that was exposed again tonight when Rui Diaz had an incredible turn, a moment of brilliance that fooled who I would consider our best defender of the, of the squad, Eddie. um, And he puts one into the right side of the net. And from there, I think, you know, Seattle had a game plan tonight that was to not let us get comfortable. Uh, They were bullying Carlos from the beginning. Ariaga had two hits on Carlos in the first 20 minutes that arguably could have been penalties. But at the end of the day, you know, Marufo called a a loose game both ways, and and I think we failed to adjust to that. We we let them dictate the physicality of the game. We let them really settle into what they wanted to do, and their counters were strong. And you know when you think about how we went for this entire season, it was a season that was full of these moments of brilliance from. Vela from Atuesta with piercing passes from Rossi, even the the goal on Thursday that Rossi had to give us that lead um, was a moment of brilliance. In my opinion, his first touch was sublime and he puts into the side netting and we had one of those moments tonight. It was the first goal. It was when Atuesta puts it beautifully over the wall into the right side of the net. Um, But outside of that moment, you know, we were searching and we were searching for somebody to have that piercing pass, have that, make that guy miss. And um, that was what was lacking tonight on our end. Whereas Rui Diaz for them really made his presence felt. And I I think he had a couple moments of brilliance that um, just, just showed why he's, you know, an international for a South American country starting regularly for their national team. Right, right. And I mean, it wasn't only his involvement in the attack, which was really good. And uh, it was also his pressure. This man was all all throughout our midfield, pressing our midfielders, winning balls back, and then immediately jump-starting attacks. Um, I think it's Ladero's goal, their first goal, where he comes away with the ball and Atuesta just puts in like this really half-hearted challenge. It should He should have just gone straight through him to be honest um and he's off to the races i think he holds off eddie segura well as they're as they're running away and plays a ball out wide and the ball comes back in for for lodera uh, lodera who gets the the shot towards the bottom right corner um i don't know if there's anything miller could have done about that I, i'm always i'm kind of uh hesitant to really go after goalkeepers because I so I know so little about the position, admittedly. Um, so I'm not really sure if he had his positioning right or not, but uh, that attack should have never happened because Natuesta should have just taken him out. Um, I, I do agree with your take on 
Seattle's physicality. I think they they called our bluff, really, when it came to that. Uh, Ariaga's first challenge on on Vela. I was getting texts from people who don't watch a whole lot of soccer, uh, but know that I'm a I'm an LAFC fan, asking, "Hey, is that okay? Is that okay?" And it's like, well, I mean, it's questionable enough. And for me, the the really egregious um, uh, a miss here in, in uh, on our behalf was after Vela is body checked again by Ariaga, and it probably should have been a penalty. Uh, somebody needs to come through with a hard yellow in response. Like they, they, you can't let another team just come in and bully you like that in the playoffs. And it's not that you want to see anybody get hurt, but we have to match their level of physicality. And so somebody's got to come through. And I mean, maybe it's Mark, I guess Mark Anthony K wasn't on the field at that point. Dio's not there at that point. I feel like those are the two guys that are, are always going to stick up for the, for the other guys on the team, but somebody's got to come in and, and be an enforcer after, after two challenges like that on uh, what is really your talisman player. I agree. And I think, you know, to, to piggyback off that, I think that it is Mac that is normally stepping up and honestly getting in the face of the other, of the other team. Not only is he making that hard foul, but he's chirping and jawing and bringing that energy. And we all know that he was coming off an injury with team Canada. And, and we saw him come on when a, a very sad moment for Latif blessing, who I think many of us who follow the team would consider you know, arguably that heart and soul piece of, of this 2019 team that just brings so much excitement and energy mm-hmm. to see him go off and, and K comes on there. But before then, there wasn't a moment where we were playing at the same level of physicality as them. They were making Marufo hold his whistle. And when we saw that those fouls weren't being called, I think it was about the 75th minute when we saw Mark Anthony K really get physical back and they weren't called on us either. Right. right and and right. sometimes you just have to be willing to adjust to the referee and understand that they're not going to be calling the game today. It's going to be a little looser. It's a conference final. This is a game where you should be willing to put your body on the line. You should be willing to give it all. And I think when you combo the fact that they came out so physical with the fact that the guy that gives his all more than anybody on the team, Latif Blessing, gets a really tough injury and ends up not able to continue, it ended up a little demoralizing. Um, and in the term of demoralizing, I want to go back to something else that you mentioned, which is you know talking about Tyler Miller's goalkeeping tonight. And something that I've noticed with Tyler over the course of the season is in a usual LAFC game, Tyler is only called upon between two and five times. There's not a lot of shots on goal. There's not a lot of pressure. We had one of the most stout defenses in MLS history this season, setting the record for the best goal differential. And if Tyler makes two saves that should have been goals a game, LAFC wins every single time. And what we've seen tonight is that we went into halftime with Seattle having two shots and both of those shots went into the net. And when you think about what it means to Vela, to uh, Atuesta, to Rossi, to Rodriguez, to all these guys that are trying to break through the defense, trying to find their way, we had way more shots than they did, but we were not getting that we just need one of those saves early on to know that Tyler's there with the team. And I think, I don't think that necessarily the goals were Tyler's fault. I don't think that, you know, they were, they weren't like Zlatan's goal on Thursday where it went through his hands. These were well-placed shots, but this is the Western conference final. This is a moment where you need your keeper to simply make one of those saves um, he made one tonight and it was in the 92nd minute to stop us from going down four to one, but the rest mm-hmm. of the game, you know, we didn't see a moment from Miller that would give the team some energy and some grit and some trust that he had their back and that he was going to make that save. And, and I think that hurt us tonight. Yeah. I, 
he I think he gets away with a handball as well. I think I think it's Morris. Morris, there's a ball lofted over the over the top of the midfield. And right Morris outside the eighteen, of, yeah. Yeah, and I, I they never showed a replay, but it looked really close to a handball to me. Um and you saw again Miller got caught against the Galaxy deciding on if he was gonna come out and there's a miscommunication with Heyman Blackman. Um he has been shaky and I like the way you put it there where he doesn't need to do a whole lot. And, you know, he's going to make, he's going to be called upon just a handful of time, a handful of times each game. So it's really just bringing some modicum of consistency to your, to your play. And I I just, man, down the stretch, I don't think we have seen it uh, from him. And that's pretty regrettable because I think, at the beginning of the season for him was really good. I think last season he was kind of this, uh, he was quite the revelation where we just picked him up off the scrap heap, ironically from the Sounders. And he's, I really don't know what it is, but he's fallen apart in the, in the latter half of the season. So it'll be interesting to see what LAFC does with the goalkeeping situation uh, headed into the next year. Um, one other thing that you had mentioned as well about about Rodriguez coming in, I do agree. I, I I know that probably a lot of fans are frustrated with his lack of production in terms of goals, but I've I've always thought he looks good on the ball. I felt like um, I felt like Seattle just did a good job, like kind of like you said, just sending numbers at him and bottling him up, and he was doing admirably with it. But they were just funneling all of our all of our play into the midfield where they had just sat bodies similar to what the galaxy and Minnesota did earlier. And once, and once we're stuck there and Carlos Vela is buried in between two center backs and behind a couple of defensive midfielders, there's not really a whole lot that we're going to do unless we get more fullbacks involved and expose ourselves even more. So uh, a lot of people were hesitant to use the, uh, the, the term blueprint, after Galaxy and Minnesota beat us, but I think that's clearly what you saw tonight. Is Sounders came out and played essentially the same the same exact blueprint with uh, similar results. Um, Matt, is there anything else that you saw tonight that you want to get into? Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll end with two thoughts. I I want to piggyback off what you said about Brian and I for for me. Tonight was Brian Rodriguez's best game in an LAFC uniform, and I think it was not even close. Um, He showed a willingness to attack tonight, especially in the first half, where, quite frankly, the rest of the team wasn't really attacking with with a lot of authority and a lot of uh, force. Um, And he also showed that one-on-one, he's not going to be stopped. He did lose the ball relatively consistently, but it was when they had to send a second or third guy over to him. And, you know, you mentioned the the blueprint and the way that people have beaten LAFC so far this season. Tonight was a moment where we, as fans, we wanted Bob to deviate. We wanted Bob to see that we were down and to see that it, all of us knew that the plan was Dio for Rodriguez in the 60th minute. Every single person watching that cares about LAFC knew that that was what Bob was planning to do. And when you're throughout the game and you're, you're getting to that 60th minute and your best attacker thus far has actually been Rodriguez, the man that you're planning to get rid to, to sub out. Um, and you're still chasing that goal, you know, a little bit of adaptability there would have been something I personally would have loved to see, whether it was taking off win that early and allowing you know Carlos to drop back to the midfield a little bit and having Rodriguez and Rossi on the outside, or even maybe taking off Harvey at that 60th minute, moving to a back three with Blackman, Segura, and Zimmerman where they can all play across the entire black line and just really putting that attack on to get that equalizing goal, knowing that on your bench for your third stub, you still have Mohamed El Manir. And if you want to move back to a back four, you can take off somebody like a Lee win, or you can take Rodriguez off once we get that game tying goal and you can move back to that back four. Um, We just didn't see the adaptability tonight. And, you know, against the galaxy on Thursday, Bob was heralded for his subs. He got it right. You know, bringing Zimmerman and Dio on together, 
making Zlatan uncomfortable. We we saw Bob get it right, and tonight needed something different. And unfortunately, we saw the exact same game plan tonight, and it just didn't result in us being able to move forward. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I certainly think Bob has uh, has to shoulder some of the blame here, and you can argue that um, he's a little bit hamstrung by the. I guess that's a terrible. Uh, that's a terrible way to put it, but by Latif Blessing's injury, um, he is forced into making the early sub, and yeah, it. And then to me, the Adrian Perez sub is a complete concession and and a realization that the game is just out of hand, and Lee Wynn has to come off for whatever reason. I, I'm I'm not sure. Uh, did you? I I didn't. I don't remember if I saw Palacios on the. On the start, on the 18th. He was Did not. He him? was out of. He was out of the 18 tonight. Okay. He was also so, out of the 18 for the Galaxy game. For the Galaxy, yeah. But I mean, it's kind of like you said. I I can't remember what game it was before, but I remember Bob bringing in both Dio and El Munir to chase a result earlier this year. Um, and Munir wasn't even playing left back. He just came in on the left wing. Um. So to me, I, I'm not sure why you don't, like you said, go to a back three or or change up your back line somehow, move Segura up into the midfield again, which paid great dividends against the Galaxy just four days ago. Um, I'm not sure why you're not trying to bring in bring in more attacking players, uh, just to just to con- you know, or leaving attacking players on the field, I should say, uh, in order to to generate more chances, especially against these loaded boxes that we were facing. So that was, that was pretty frustrating for me to watch. Um, the one thing I will say is I think this has been a bit of a flaw with our roster since the beginning of the year, where we have a bunch of trialists that ended up staying with the team. Um, I think beyond the, the, the four midfielders that we've played, the midfield is non-existent. In terms of backups, I mean, I guess we have Peter Lee Vassell and we had uh, Javi Perez, who was injured towards his ACL. You have Alejandro Guido, who was injured with some phantom injury all year. Um, and then we have this kind of overabundance of not very high quality wingers who we've tried to play and shoehorn into the midfield. But to me, that tonight was an example of you have to have a deeper roster um, because stuff like this happens. Mark Anthony Kay has to come off the bench, uh, and it's because Latif Blessing is injured, and then you have nobody else to bring in to help generate offense. Um, so, yeah, I, it'll be interesting to see what LAFC does with their roster construction this offseason. And uh, it's something that I'm actually kind of looking forward to. to talking about with not just Josh but and, and you but uh, other LAFC fans as well yeah I think you know I'll, I'll end with I'll, I'll end my thoughts with this Kirk I think that um, I think your point on depth is is incredibly valid and and I think we can look at literally the champions of last year if you look at what Atlanta United has going right now um, when the U.S. men's national team had their friendlies um, they had a more devastating injury than we did with Mark Anthony Kay. They had Miles Robinson, mm-hmm. uh, an MLS best 11 center back, go out. Um, and immediately they plugged in Michael Parkhurst um, to fill that void. And then in their first game, Michael Parkhurst gets injured. And now right. they're on what you would consider their fourth center back. And it's none other than Florentine Pogba, literally the brother of Paul Pogba, is stepping in and and they're not missing a beat and they're blanking a Philadelphia Union team in the semifinal um with with their fourth center back starting the game mm-hmm. and when you think about where LAFC stands you know especially that midfield Peter Lee Vassell was a second round super draft pick that I'm not sure was really supposed to make the team I would love to see him grow and be successful but it, right now he's a little more suited for the USL Alejandro uh, uh, Guido and Javi Perez, like you mentioned, they were trialists. They were guys that came on during training uh, in the, you know, in the preseason games and 
when we were trialing out some people and and they stuck and and I love the fact that we're giving people opportunities but at the end of the day you know I I never even thought I would say this but think about a guy like Benny Failhaber that we had last season that we didn't miss during the regular season because we had a midfield three of K blessing and Atuesta that for the most part stayed very healthy. Um, and when came back to fitness and when was our fourth guy, but imagine if we had had a guy like Benny Failhaber available for selection tonight, where maybe Win doesn't have to shoulder so much load, somebody else that's been there, somebody else that's carrying that fitness, bringing that passion and that intensity, you know, and I'm not advocating for us to resign Failhaber. I don't think he's the answer by any means, but we need to fill out the roster with pieces that are not such question marks. We need to have yeah. guys that we can count on to actually step up if needed, because I can tell you the fact that, you know, Zimmerman had a concussion and Kay had a hamstring injury. Like we should expect things like that every season. The, the season is long and hard and we can't expect all of our best players to carry through an entire season healthy um, and our lack of depth was was pretty severely exposed when Latif had his injury tonight. It it changed the game even more so. We were already losing 2-1, but we didn't have the ability to control the game like we have in the past without Latif on the field. Right, right. And I think if you look at where our depth really is right now, um, I think we kind of backed our way into having five fullbacks on the roster. Um, I think Palacios was largely a very opportunistic signing for us. The one that I'm sure we had our eye on, but, um, I don't know that we went into the season thinking, oh, well, we're going to end up signing a guy like, like Chiqui Palacios. Um, and then again, our forwards and we've, we don't see a whole lot of rotation because I mean, who, who's, who are they really going to come in for? Right. We it's mostly a bunch of wingers and again it's it's I think it's mainly Adrian Perez and Josh Perez but they're behind Diego Rossi and and Brian Rodriguez so I mean these guys are never going to see the field and when they do see the field they're not making any sort of difference um, so it, it, I I really hope that they can balance out some of these issues um, I'm trying to look up the 18 again so. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we have four fullbacks in the 18 and two forwards, it looks like, with Kay and Yakovic as well. Um, so I, they're going to have to do something in the offseason, obviously. Um, and I guess we'll just have to save all that speculation for then. Josh, anything? I, sorry, Josh. Matt, I'm sorry, man. <laughs> uh, it's just a force of habit at this point. Is there anything else you want to get into, Matt, no before we uh, move on to some listener questions? No, let's let's talk about what the listeners want to hear. All right. So uh, the our first mention came from uh, at Tyco Blue, and here's the tweet: Better team were the Sounders tonight. LAFC had little fight. I have never liked Lee Wynn's game. Tonight he was a ghost. Porta may have been a mistake, but a dominant mid is su- is much needed. Great season, poor ending. Onward, fans, teams, heads. Uh, heads high, everyone. Um, there's a lot there, um, but essentially that the Sounders were better, and we didn't show up, including Lee Win is what he says. What do you have to say about that, Matt? Yeah, I would. I, I mean, my initial thought is a thought of agreement with Tycho. Um, I agree that the Sounders were the better team tonight, and that. I, I want the listeners to know that that is a not fun thing for me to say. I don't say that lightly, and I, I love this team as much as any of you do. But the Sounders were the better team tonight. They came out with more physicality, more purpose, and their game plan worked. And that was on us to adjust. We don't need them to adjust if what they're doing is working. We were. It was our inability to adjust that made them the better team tonight. I, I think... I think that Lee Wynn fills a very interesting role for this team, and I think it's as a sub. I think that when Wynn can come in for the final 15 to 20 minutes and help control a game that we're up by one goal with his possession skills um, is very valuable. Um, but I would agree that that tonight was certainly a forgettable night for Lee. I don't think that he made the impact that we were looking for. 
Um, the biggest thing from his tweet that I really want to emphasize is is the words "great season, poor ending." I I think we all need to remember that we had a historic season. We set the most points ever in the history of MLS. We had the greatest goal differential ever. We saw Carlos Vela have the best individual season in the history of MLS mm-hmm. with 49 combined goals and assists, including capping off with a bicycle kick goal in the last day of the season. Mm-hmm. And it's our second year in existence, right? LAFC has played two seasons ever. And we've. I think that not only have we followed the blueprint of success that Atlanta had, but I would even argue that we've capitalized on it. And we've grown the culture of soccer in LA. We've grown the excitement across this LAFC fandom. There's podcasts, there's Twitter accounts, there's stuff that we do. And it really was a great season, even though there's frustration for all of us right now. Um, you know, keep our heads high and and remember that we did things that have never been done before this year. Um, in our second year ever, it, it should only continue to get better from here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think there, there are, we talked about it earlier, there are so many building blocks in place that are going to be here for the foreseeable future. Um, one thing that I'm excited to talk about is uh, the expansion draft, because I think it's going to really force us to consider who, who that core group is. And who's going to actually stay with us for the for the coming years? Um, and I think it'll open up some. I mean, I would imagine we're going to lose one player during that expansion draft, which I think is the maximum, even when there are two teams drafting. Um, Correct. But I anticipate losing somebody. So somebody's going to, you know, one of these two teams uh, is going to be forcing our hand into making some signing. But I do agree, you got to have your head high. Uh, kind of going along those lines. If by any chance somebody who listens to this show is one of the fans that habitually throws things onto the field, uh, <laughs> just just unsubscribe and don't listen to us anymore. Don't do please. it. Uh, like it's that is so hard for me to watch on TV. So again, I live in Arizona, uh, so I only watch on TV. It's hard for me to watch on TV. I can't imagine the shame that I would feel if I was actually in the stadium seeing people do that. And I'm there, you know, in in a black and gold Jersey and seeing my fellow fans do that nonsense. Uh, There's no need for that. We simply got beat. There's no, there's no reason to be throwing beer bottles at, uh, at opposing players. That's crazy to me. Well, and I can, so I was at the bank tonight. Um, I, I live in LA. I have season tickets and, and I go to almost every game and what's really interesting is that the only times that this happens is if we play the Galaxy or if we're in a playoff game. Mm-hmm. And it happened against Real Salt Lake in the playoffs last year. It's happened to some degree in virtually every game against the Galaxy. Even on Thursday, there were slight, there was a little bit of thrown items. I, I will say I think it was both ways. Um, and then tonight, we saw an abundance of beer cups and, and bottles thrown. One was about a foot away from Jair Marufo, the ref. Um, and then there were even some videos after I left the bank that I saw on Twitter where the Sounders were celebrating with their supporter section and right. our own fans were throwing at them. Um, as they're celebrating winning the Western Conference, I I couldn't agree with you more. I think it's on those of us that go to the bank to police the fans around us i know that in my section um we have not it's kind of understood across everyone that if somebody does something like that you immediately tell them that that's not acceptable behavior um but i couldn't agree with you more we we need to become an example and a club that mls can rely on as the gold standard and throwing beer on the field is is simply never going to be something that that we should do yeah yeah i mean think about think about our players on the field just consider for a moment what they feel like when you know the people that come to support them uh are throwing things onto the field and they have to go clean it up or you know the heaven forbid the the ref ends up having to make some sort of 
drastic call, you know, calling the game or I, I don't, I honestly don't know what the protocol is. If, if Bob Bradley could be red carded for that kind of thing. Um, but it's just, it's so silly. It's so silly. And so when I saw, I think it was Atuesta walks up to a, a bottle and kicked it back into the stands. To me, that's the appropriate thing to do. Like if they're throwing stuff on the field, the players should just be like kicking it back into the stand. Like there's just no room for it. But no need to dwell on that anymore. Don't throw stuff on the field. Uh, next one. Here we go from at Wonderful. When you lose, you you learn. What can we learn from our faults this season? Seems like we left it all in the field against the Galaxy. Matt, what do you got there? Yeah, I think I think that um, we have one fault that is greater than all others right now, and it's the way that we play after we score, mm-hmm. immediately after we score. I'm talking about the five minutes right after a goal is put in by LAFC. Um, for whatever reason, the team right now does not maintain the same level of grit and uh, mindfulness and aggression um, once we score. We just let up off the gas pedal. We've seen in almost every derby against the Galaxy, we have seen them score within five minutes of us getting our own goal and breaking our back that way. We saw it tonight when we got that initial goal. Um, and, you know, I'm, I think that that's something that has to be a priority for the team this offseason. We have to develop a consistent mentality when it comes to being ahead. And when we put the ball in the back of the net, we can't assume that they are going to let up. In fact, I would argue that most of our opponents play harder after we put a ball into the net because they want to get that goal back. Right. Um, and, and the amount of times that we've conceded within five minutes of a goal being scored, I think is arguably the greatest fault of this team when it comes to their on the pitch performance. We can talk about the depth and managerial things, but when it comes to on the pitch, um, that's just a, a mentality issue and, and a, a blueprint, a plan that we need to develop to ensure that, once we put a ball in the net, we do not give that lead up quickly. We want to make the other teams earn it. Um, I, I think that's a big thing that we need to take away from this season and, and something that I hope that Bob and the team really focus on developing uh, for next season. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, we've seen it so many times, like you say. The, the one that jumps off the page to me is the goal against Orlando City where off of a kickoff... It wasn't even a minute. It was like 30 seconds. Yeah, and the I mean, the ball ends up at Nani's feet within 15, 20 seconds from a kickoff after we've scored a goal, and he puts it in the back of the net. Or last week against the Galaxy, we go up 2-0, uh, and next thing you know, Pavone is running free uh, behind our back line and scores. Um just something we can't afford to do. And so in a game where you play the first 15 minutes, you're kind of chasing, uh, Seattle's pressing you a little bit and you're having some trouble building out and you get fortunate and you score a goal against the run of play like we did with the, with the Atuesta free kick, you're up one nothing at, as the overwhelming favorites in your own home. There's no reason to come out and start counter-pressing. There's no reason to start uh, losing your mind and trying to chase another goal right away. Just let the game settle back down uh, like you did against the Galaxy in the first 15, 20 minutes of that match where you just let the game come to you and once everything settles down, then you go out and you hunt another goal. Um, But the idea that you have to go get four, five, six goals every single game just because you scored in the first 17 minutes is, is kind of crazy to me and uh, not quite as pres- as, uh, as pragmatic as I'd like them to be, especially in a, in a one-off game like this. So I uh, agree. And I, I think, I think the final thing that I would say on that, you know, to, to this listener's question about what can we learn from our faults? Um, I, I want to just point out that, Truthfully, 
this team did not have a lot of faults on the field, right? We set the record for the most points for a reason. We had incredible talent. Um, there's a little bit of depth issues and there's some managerial tactical changes that need to happen. But um, I, I hope that the fans of the team also recognize all of the positive elements that came out of this season. And the fact that the game plan for most people to beat us was to park the bus and, and put everyone in the back and right. just hope that they get a counter goal right now. We need to be able to counter that game plan. Um, but most people were watching us play this season with a sense of envy and uh, desire to emulate what we were doing versus looking at us and knowing how to expose our faults. Um, you know, I think that the depth concerns, I think that's a fault of the team. And I think that will be addressed by the front office I think that, you know, with this loss, there will be talk about how we can adjust our game plan on the fly. Um, but as far as faults on the field, the only one that sticks out to me as a trend is how we perform after a goal is scored. And, and I think it's something that the team will definitely work on. Yeah, yeah, I agree. All right, next one here, at Jeff Babaka. You never want to blame the refs for a loss, but the refs judgment seemed terrible. First yellow card came out uh, not until the second half. Also, not having blessing seemed to affect the rhythm of the midfield. We've already talked about blessing. Um, Matt, I am not one to put games on the refs. I am not going to put this game on the ref. I know that there were some questionable calls, um, or I guess non-calls. I think there were three potential handballs in the box, um, and none of them went to VAR. I think the most egregious one was probably when you know Dio flicks the ball up, and I think it's Ariaga again with the and his arm is clearly out as Dio's trying to play the ball and it, and it hits off his arm. Um, what's your take on on the officiating here? Yeah, I so initially I'll say that I agree with you. I I if any LAFC fan listening to this thinks that we lost tonight because of the refs. Um, I hate to burst your bubble, but that's not the case. Seattle was the better team tonight. They came out with more authority than us tonight. What I'll say about Jair Marufo's refereeing tonight is that I do agree that I think it was one of the most loosely refed games that I have seen in MLS this season. But it was consistent both ways. He was not calling a lot of things on both LAFC and Seattle we saw Mark Anthony K get away with quite a few bulldozing, you know, uh, bullying moves in the about the 91st minute right in front of my section. Jordan Harvey committed a handball um, that they would have had a free kick in a dangerous spot. They would have then put it in the corner and probably killed two minutes of clock that wasn't called. I agree that it's frustrating when we have to watch a game and we feel that things are should be called and, and it should be refed in a certain way. Um, I, I think that the one thing I would take away is that while Marufo didn't call a lot of fouls against Seattle, he also did not call a lot of fouls against LAFC. Right. And while it was a loose refereeing performance, it was equivalent to both sides of the table. The one question that I have is not for J.M. Marufo, but more so for the VAR official you know, the the MLS designates a specific official on VAR that's supposed to be checking everything that happens. And I've seen um, some Twitter GIFs. I actually, I want to call out um, one of the follows that I have on Twitter. Um, the, his handle is Jacinio10. Um, his account is Yoga Bonito. He does a great job putting GIFs out throughout games and and there were two plays the Ariaga handball and a Kim Kihi handball that on video distinctively hit the arm mm -hmm. and so if you're the video assistant referee on an MLS playoff game I do believe that you need to be directing Jair Marufo the official on the pitch to just go take a look and right, that's not to right. say that they needed to be reversed that's not to say that they were necessarily the wrong call but when you're seeing that replay and you can definitively see the ball make contact with an arm within the penalty area, just go look at it. 
Go yeah. take a look. See if it's something that you guys want to change the call on. Make sure that we get it right. And and it was very surprising to me that he never went to the monitor. Um, all that said, this game was won because Seattle was a better team than us tonight, not because of the referees. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree with you there on uh, probably should have gone to the monitor. I will also say that the I think it was our second goal against Galaxy that Everybody was, you know, Twitter was it was burning to the ground because of of this goal, uh, mostly because everybody was sharing the wrong still. It ends up that Brian Rodriguez is probably about an inch and a half offside, uh, and that one never went to VAR either. So, I mean, whether you were saying that the refs hate us today, uh, we got we did get some love last week, or if you were saying that, you know, MLS only wants LAFC in the in the MLS Cup, uh, then your narrative was burst today as well. I think Marufo probably should have started giving yellows a little early, a little earlier, just to keep the game under control. But it's like you said, it, it was it was both ways. There wasn't really anything too unfair about the way it was officiated uh, against either team. Uh, and uh, Jeff also adds here. Also, Tuesta should have dropped Rui Diaz. Don't know how they let the Sounders. Uh, player bully them and not try to hit back because we kind of addressed he should have fouled him uh, on that first goal and they should have had somebody come out and, and take a hard yellow after they were bodying Carlos Vela a couple times and especially considering there were no cards giving out you're obviously going to get away with a with a hard challenge uh next one Matt comes from at Chrissy Poop how do you see the lineup changing for next season? Oh, wow. That's going to be uh, <laughs> that's a tough one there. But what do you got there? That That's certainly tough, but I'll, I'll, I'll look into my crystal ball and I'll give you the best thoughts that I have. Um, I'm going to share a relatively hot take. I, I'd love to know if you agree, Kirk. I think um, one of the hottest takes that I have that, that I believe is that I think Jordan Harvey will actually be a member of LAFC next season on the coaching staff. I don't think that Jordan Harvey is going to be a player for the team next season. I think he's going to join the staff. Um, I think we will see Palacios as our regular left back. Um, looking at the lineup for next year, I think we will see a new goalkeeper. I, I don't have a prediction to who that is. If I had to put money on someone right now, my answer would be Cisniega. Um, but I don't know who that will be. I think that it's confirmed that it'll be Walker and Segura as our center backs. Um, I think you can look at the end of the regular season and the playoffs and agree that right back is Tristan Blackman's spot to lose. Um, when you Something you mentioned earlier, Kirk, is the expansion draft. Um, I've done a little bit of research on who's already under contract and who would need protection. And every time I look at it, I just get struck by the thought that Stephen Betashore will end up picked in the expansion draft and not protected by the team. I think Beta has been an incredible part of what we've done for the last two seasons. And he's such a great guy, such a great character. Um, but my prediction there is that Beta actually ends up leaving LAFC in the expansion draft and that our right back is Tristan Blackman. Um, I think that in the midfield, you're going to see the same starting three. I think you're going to have Kay, Atuesta, and Blessing as our starting midfielders next year. Um, the other big prediction that I have, and, and Kirk, I know you share this thought, is that Diego Rossi will probably be sold to yeah. either La Liga or Serie A in Italy. Um, it was rumored that Fiorentina made an offer of $14 million in the last transfer period that LAFC declined. Um, I think Rossi will not be on the team next season. I think you have Rodriguez starting on the left wing. You have Vela in his comfortable position on the right wing instead of at the nine. Um, and then that number nine spot, I also don't have a prediction there. My hope is that it's somebody that we don't have on the team right now. The team could go young and try to find another uh, DP level young talent like Orosio Rodriguez. There's been rumors, a couple names that I've heard linked to LAFC. I've heard Mario Mandzukic from Juventus. I've heard um, Olivier Giroud from Chelsea. I've heard Thomas Mueller from Bayern Munich. Um, those are all very counter 
intuitive signings for LAFC. Those are players at the tail end of their career and not really the blueprint that we have. Um, but I think that all of us agree that there needs to be a new number nine. And so thinking about next season's lineup, the changes, I think we have a new goalkeeper. I think Palacios is our left back. I think Blackman is our right back. I think Rossi has been sold. Rodriguez is the left wing. And we have a new starting striker. What do you think, Kirk? So I, I, you're, I think we're pretty close there. It's interesting because uh, this is the first time we've ever spoken, but I think we see it pretty, uh, pretty evenly here. And I don't want to give away too much of uh, my plans for the expansion draft episode, but I won't be surprised to see either keeper gone. I won't be surprised, like you said, to see Stephen Betashore and Jordan Harvey out of the lineup. Um, to me, if you go into next season and Tristan Blackman isn't your starting right back, um, I'm I'm not sure. Like I, I don't know what you're doing because the the kid has been uh, really good down this tough stretch, um, and I, I don't think that I think. 32, 33 year old Stephen Betashore is going to be giving you that much. Whether or not Betashore gets picked up in the expansion draft, I, I honestly have no idea. Uh, but I think your theory is good. I don't think LAFC can afford to protect him, uh, given some of the other uh, players that I think they would be more interested in protecting, especially in the midfield, I think. Um, starting. I, I, the, I think one thing that I that I wouldn't be too surprised to see is Atuesta sold. Um, I think the team would love to have him around for another season and potentially increase his value even more. But if the right if the right offer comes along in the winter transfer, I I could I could see the team ending up moving him. I guess the one the one uh, limiting factor there is we are going to be in uh, in CCL. And it'll be interesting to see how the team tries to keep everybody together during that winter transfer window in order to to make a push there, which I can only imagine Bob is hungry for, especially after losing out on MLS Cup. Um, I think, like you said, Rossi's gone. Rodriguez is firmly planted in that left wing spot with Vail on the right. And I do think they go out and sign a DP striker. If not a DP striker, I think they go and find a number 10 um, to kind of free up Blessing into a different kind of pressing role, maybe an eight uh, for more of like a, a number eight position for Blessing where he's running around and still pressing. Um, but I also think they need another, a, 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 like a backup striker. I don't think it needs to be somebody as good as Dio, but I think you you need to sign both a DP and kind of a low level uh, Christian Ramirez esque striker without the contract baggage that, that Ramirez had. I don't know if that made sense. I just, yeah. I just totally rattled that off the top of my head, but no, absolutely. And, and one final thing that I'll note about next season's lineup and roster is right now there are, three backups on the team that are taking three of our eight international spots. Those are Diamande, Mohamed Elmanir at left back and Danilo Silva at center back. Um, I think it's safe to say that Danilo Silva has played his last minutes for LAFC. Yeah. Um, he had a season ending shoulder injury and there's just no way. And back that surgery he, as well. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's just no way that he, takes an international spot for this team. Um, and it wouldn't surprise me to see Dio go as well um, because those international spots are just so limited. The American talent isn't all the way there. Um, you think about Rossi. Rossi got his green card, and he didn't take an international spot this season. If we sell him and we try to bring in an international DP, that's another international spot that we need that's to free point. up. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that, you know, I, I think Elmanir as a backup left back to Palacios is very exciting, but I'm not sure that that makes sense with an international spot. I think Dio as a super sub is exciting, and, and he and Bob obviously have a great relationship over their history, um, but I'm not sure that he fits. And uh, I also, I just feel very confident that we will never see Danilo Silva in an LAFC uniform again. Yeah. 
Yeah, I guess it, it also leads to the question. Uh, Josh and I always talk about um, how much we like Dio in that super sub role, but strikers are very fickle. They're famously fickle, right? Uh, and they're not very keen on being super subs oftentimes. So uh, I think you'd have to have a, uh, a lot of buy-in from Dio as well for him to stay uh, one fit and two sharp if he is only getting 30 minutes a match um, and is obviously going to see his production fall as a result too. So, All Yeah, right. and one, one other name just to remember, Fito Zelaya. <laughs> he is still on the roster. I know he hasn't played. I don't think his form is exactly where it needs to be, but he scored in both of the national matches that he played in. Mm-hmm. He has a green card. He doesn't take an international spot. There's a massive Salvadorian contingent of LAFC fans that were incredibly excited when he was signed and, and quite frankly were frustrated with his treatment by the team and his inability to see the pitch. You know, what you mentioned, right, Dio's, uh, mentality and and keeping him in the right mindset and ensuring that he succeeds. There's a world that that spot is Fito Zelaya next year. I don't think Fito Zelaya is your starter by any means, but could he be a substitute with the whole off season with LAFC and and being you know really committed? I I think it's possible. I think it's something to keep our eye on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, who knows? Who knows at this point? Uh, he's bounced back and forth uh, between different loan deals. I don't think he ever scored while he was out with Las Vegas Lights, um, but we'll have, to, we'll have to see what happens there. All right, Matt, next one comes from Ryan Olson at Bikes and Barbecue. What happened on defense? Would Beta have kept it together better back there? Uh, I, this one, I, I really don't know that the that the losses on Blackman all that much. I think on that odd header where Zimmerman points to him and as it or he points back to Miller as if he's gonna play the ball back and then kind of heads it in Blackman's direction as he's trying to recover. Um I'm not really sure that you can uh that you can put that one on him. I think I think what largely happened tonight was our midfield was too soft, and I think there's no better example. Again, going back to that Atuesta non-challenge, and then he falls into the back line when the ball comes back in for Ladero, and Lee Wynn isn't tracking anybody, uh, and it's just kind of a complete meltdown in the midfield. How'd you how'd you see it with our defense tonight? Yeah, I I think something that. Um, needs to be remembered. I don't think I agree with you. I don't think it was on Blackman. Um, I'm not sure that Beta makes a big difference. I think the big difference was the player that was the number one player in the MLS at win back rate got injured in the first half. Yeah, you know that was yeah. Latif Blessing. He has Latif's impact on defense is greater than his impact on offense, and we love to see Latif do the shimmy and control the ball, and break people's ankles. But his impact on defense is second to none in the midfield, and he literally has the highest win-back rate in the MLS. Mm -hmm. Um, When we saw him go down, I know that two goals were scored before he was out, but when you think about, you know, our defense, our defense also comes from the midfield and the ability to win back and keep the press on and keep the pressure up and keep the ball in their final third um, and we were missing Latif tonight for more than half the game. And I think that made a big impact on how we were able to control that possession. And, and if he had still been out there, I think we might've found our way to get that second goal in and hopefully tie the game before Rui Diaz puts in the third. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, me and Josh talk also a lot about, you know, him in this kind of inverted destroying role. Um, where he's not really, he's not a playmaking 10. He's really just up there to, to play like a six does in an, in an advanced position. Um, and that really helps to pin opposing, um, opposing teams in their own half, which we were completely unable to do anytime they won the ball back. 
uh, it'll be interesting to see what they do. And the craziest thing to me about it is we uh, kind of stumbled upon it accidentally. This this ability that he had. Um, there's another thing it's we wild. talked about several times where he just came in as a sub, and all of a sudden, it was this huge revelation. Like, oh, this kid can he can do all these different things for us here in, in the center. But it's like you said, he's not going to give you a whole lot of off- offensive production. His passing and playmaking isn't isn't that great. I don't know that he sees the field in that manner. I think he's able to read plays as they develop and is able to take the appropriate angles at the appropriate speed to to stop them from happening. But I don't know that he sees plays developing in that same kind of uh, in that same kind of way. I agree. I think I, I agree with you too that how how wild it is to think that. Latif Blessing isn't a center midfielder by trade, right? The the impact that he has had this season in that midfield three has been phenomenal. Uh, and he's been revolutionary for the team. Um, but thinking about, you know, where he where he was when he joined LAFC, we, we didn't see a lot of him last season. Um, and when we did see him, it was usually as an offensive winger and the finishing touch wasn't there. The through balls weren't always there. If you could count on him for something, you could count on him for speed and, and to work hard. But his physicality wasn't where it was this season. Uh, last season, he was a little bit weaker, and we would see him you know, pushed off the ball more. He just took a mentality of kind of F this. I'm going to – I don't care that I'm small. I'm going to make it happen. Um, right. And it worked. It worked a lot of the time, and it, it was really impressive, to be honest. And, um, you know, he's someone that signed a, a multi-year extension in the middle of the season. He was notoriously – he was outwardly um, frustrated with his low pay level. Um, and I'm glad to see that the team, you know, put an investment in him, and, and he's someone that will be a part of this team for years to come. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Last one here. Defense played like trash. Oh, sorry. This is from uh, at the only MacGyver, and he doesn't hold any punches. Defense played like trash, letting everyone shoot when they please. Midfield disappeared. They played too forward. Shaking my head. Bad tactical game by Bradley. I think we've talked uh, quite a bit about the defense in the midfield here uh, and you know, playing too far forward against what ended up being a very good counterattacking team tonight. Uh, bad tactical game by Bradley. Let me ask you this, Matt. Is there, are there one or two things that you think we could have done better tactically that Bob could have done better, I should say, uh, to prepare for this match? That's an, it's an interesting question. Um, I honestly don't think that the issue was in pep- preparation. I think that the issue was in an inability to adapt to what came in front of us. Um, I don't think that we were not prepared. I think that we knew that Seattle was a better team than the Galaxy and that we were ready for what they bring to the table. It was the first time that we ever played against Rui Diaz. Specifically, he had never been in a match of LAFC versus Seattle before. Um, So he brought a little bit of shock factor, and and I think we might have underestimated him slightly. But when I think about the tactics that could have been different, it's what we've already talked about. It's the theory of keeping Rodriguez on when you need that game-tying goal. It's being able to deviate from that preset plan of Dio for Rodriguez in the 60th minute uh, that we didn't see happen. And so, you know, if you want to be frustrated at Bob as a fan for no deviation, I, I think you have that right. I would also say that this is the same guy that led us to be a record-breaking historic team this season. He was coach of the year for a reason. He's beloved by the team for a reason. Um, and I think that he has room to improve, but I don't I don't put this on him. Um, I, I hope that what he takes out of today's match is a willingness to take things as they come instead of living with the plan that you have set out. Right. I mean, that's what got him in trouble with the national team is it was always overly pragmatic, right? 4-4-2 encounter, 4-4-2 encounter. This is the only thing we do. It's the only way we'll ever do it. Um, and it ended up biting him a couple times. Uh, and I think he's, 
uh, evolved quite a bit as a coach. I mean, clearly we're not a bunker and counter team. Uh, he's playing what is is looked at widely across the globe as the correct way to play. Um, maybe not at the same level as, you know, obviously Man City or Barcelona or Liverpool are playing. But he's he's attempting to make these guys play that way, and he's done a he's done a great job with uh, largely excellent results. Um, so I, I do agree he probably needs to be a little more pragmatic and and willing to make a few changes here and there. But um, I I also can't fault him for saying we beat everybody, including the Sounders, in this manner. Uh, so we're going to go out and do it again. Uh, I also understand that mentality. So, Matt, I have one I final agree. question would, for you. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I, the way that what I would say to the only MacGyver is, I get it. I get the frustration. This hurts all of us. It's it's a bummer <laughs> to not be, you know, fighting for that cup. I, I couldn't wait for the 10th and, and to be there and to root on the team. But, um, again, just remember, as frustrated as we all are, the team has played their butts off. We've grown. We've exceeded expectations. And it is only our second season in existence. There is so, so, so much more to come from this squad um, that I know I know the frustration is real right now. But remember what we've accomplished and, and be excited about the future instead of upset about what transpired tonight. Well said. Well said. My last question for you is this, and it's probably unfair because it's fantasy land, uh, but you brought it up, so it's your fault, really. Uh, <laughs> you brought up three names, Mandzukic, Muller, and who was the third? You said Giroud. So I did. If you could have one of those three, who would it be and why? It is fantasy land, and... I don't know if you saw, I actually ran a poll on, oh, my, on my Twitter account. <laughs> um, I did. I ran this poll in between the end of the regular season and the playoffs. Um, I'm going to pull it up and tell you what the fans think. I wonder if um, I voted or, was, or commented on this. It was a tie. The fans tied between Mueller and... Giroux. So 37% for Giroux, 37% for Mueller, and 26% for Mandzukic. To me, if I if we're playing fantasy and I get to choose one of those three guys, uh, to me it's Thomas Mueller. And the reason that it's Thomas Mueller is I think that he's still got a lot in the tank. And the man has such a winning pedigree I think it's what the team needs. I love Olivier Giroud, but he hasn't won the biggest things. Mandzukic has won on occasion, uh, but he's a little bit older. He also doesn't really fit our style quite as well. He's much more of a aerial threat. Um, Bob's not a big aerial uh, tactical coach. Um, Mueller is a guy that's won World Cups. He's been a part of the Bayern Munich dynasty that has won the Bundesliga. I don't even know. I don't even want to guess how many Bundesliga titles Thomas Mueller has, but it's <laughs> definitely more than five. Um, and and I think that he's the type of player that, while he goes against what Thorington has outwardly said is our philosophy as LAFC and, and bringing on the younger players, um, he's a... Number one, he's German. We don't have any Germans on the team, although we do have many countries represented. Um, we don't have any Germans on the team. He's got a championship pedigree at the league level. He's got a championship pedigree at the World Cup level. Um, and he's just a guy that I think the fans would rally around and be so thrilled to, to see. He mentioned that if he he's interested in living and playing in Los Angeles, um, from my mouth to Thorington's ears, right? I wish it could happen. I don't think it will. Um, but playing the fantasy, my my pick would be Mueller. Which of the three would would be your choice? Yeah, it's it's for me, it's Mueller, and it's not close, to be honest. Uh, for many of the reasons that you 
listed off again. Giroud, I don't think is the right fit. Um, we're not looking for a big, tall number nine to knock balls down and and then take a shot on goal. Uh, Mandzukic is a little more interesting to me because of the, his propensity to float left, which I think would be interesting with obviously Vela on the right. But what really does it for me with Mueller is the fact that he he's the namesake for the Rom Deuter, right? The space interpreter. And when you look at what Bob has tried to do with these uh, attacking front threes, you had Christian Ramirez who tried to exploit space behind the lines. Dio plays a little bit more of a false nine where he's dropping in and allowing the wingers to, to crash behind him. Um, the idea of somebody like Thomas Muller have come, you know, able to have the freedom to just interpret and read where Vela is taking the game and then pop up in those big moments like he frequently does for Bayern and Germany. That to me is the most intriguing thing because Bob's already trying, he's already trying to do these creative things with space all over the, uh, all over the attacking third. So to me, he would be the best fit, even though he's not the clinical striker that the other two might be. So that would be my answer there. Yeah, it ma- it makes me salivate to think about Vela and Mueller playing that front line together. The yeah, the yeah. beautiful football that we would see, it uh it would be something special to watch, that's for sure. Yeah. Well, Matt, this has been a pleasure, man. We just did how many minutes here? We did 106 minutes or sorry, an hour and 6 minutes, which is uh pretty long. Not bad for a first conversation, huh? Not bad. I, I really appreciate the opportunity to come on. And, um, you know, anybody listening that, that doesn't follow me, I hope you'll give LAFC chat a follow. And uh, I'm excited to, to move to off-season talk. There's going to be a lot of rumors. There's going to be a lot of excitement. And there's more to come. So yeah. uh, just be ready. Be ready, everybody, for more excitement and more, more good news. Uh, yeah. And don't forget about the excitement of this season. Yeah, I mean – Take it all in. And, you know, lots can be said about the supporter shield not meaning anything in the end if you don't win a championship. And I think there's some validity to that, uh, given the MLS structuring. Uh, but, you, I mean, it's something you should take pride in. Matt's brought it up several times today uh, about the level of production that we saw from LAFC with all the records that were broken. This was still a special season, even if it ended in uh, – kind of a miserable way on on a Tuesday night but uh, we will come back at you with more content throughout the off season so please stay subscribed again go follow Matt at LAFC chat on Twitter you can follow the show at counterpress underscore you can email us at the counterpress show at gmail.com and you can follow me at Kirk Kinsey uh, but that's all we have for tonight so everybody stay positive and we will talk to you shortly. 